It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, August 21st, and this is your KVMR Evening News. After the California report, National Native News takes us to Guatemala, where surprise presidential victory is thanks in large part to the votes of indigenous communities. We've got an update on the highway fire before your weather forecast. Then, Nevada County's grand jury serves as a local watchdog on some of the county's most powerful groups. But despite serving a pivotal civic duty, the institution is shrouded in mystery for many of the county's residents. KVMR's Felton Pruitt seeks to unpack some of that enigma later on in tonight's newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez, joining you from San Diego, one place in California that's feeling the effects of Tropical Storm Hillary. One of those effects is the closure of schools today across much of Southern California, including campuses in the LA Unified and San Diego Unified School Districts. Although not as bad as forecast predicted, heavy rains fell and high winds blew across much of Southern California yesterday and last night, flooding intersections, toppling trees, and causing some blackouts. Wind speeds and rain totals were much higher in mountain and desert regions, and flash flood warnings are in effect. Over the weekend, as the storm approached California, many people took no special measures to prepare. I met some folks at several locations on the beach who didn't even know a storm was coming. But many others did know and took action, like buying extra food, water, and batteries. Others collected free sand and sandbags at municipal distribution sites, but some of those places quickly ran out of material, like one center I visited in Encinitas in San Diego County. It was there I met big sellers who drove up looking for sandbags with her family. Well, we were up in Orange County for a family event and we're on our way home and looking for sandbags just to prepare ourselves for the, the hurricane. And you came here yeah, and no sandbags. And no sandbags. So I guess we're going to go home. We've already done our grocery shopping to make sure that we have non-perishable items. You know, got our flashlights and everything ready, but sandbags was last on our list. Of course, storm or no storm, inclement weather is always rough on unhoused people. In downtown San Diego, I talked about that with Anthony Costello, a homeless man who was trying to seal up his makeshift shelter before the storm came ashore. I got a tarp, I got food, that's about it. And I assume the tarp is really all important for you, right? Yeah, yeah, keeps the rain off you. Keeps the water off you. And you thought about getting into a shelter for the next day or two? If it comes up, yeah, I might. If it's just today, I'll wrap it. You know, I'm a, I'm a trooper. I can wrap it if I have to, you know. Again, that was Anthony Costello in San Diego. And once the storm touched down in San Diego County, KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson spoke to residents and visitors about the effects. When the front edge of the tropical disturbance first touched the county just after 2 p.m., the rain got heavy and the wind picked up near the spirit of Imperial Beach statue where Palm Avenue meets the ocean. Murray Sala came to the Imperial Beach coastline to see the storm firsthand. When I started to hear about it, I thought people were kind of like going a little bit crazy for maybe something that might not be too crazy. Um, I hadn't really ever heard of a hurricane coming around San Diego, especially in San Diego. Like, that's why we live in San Diego, so that none of that stuff happens. It only took a couple of minutes for Sala and her family to be completely soaked. A small umbrella offered little help, but that didn't diminish the excitement as the waves pounded the coast. Marco Vasquez was visiting from Huntington Park, California. He was walking along the beach completely drenched with shoes in hand. 
Yeah, <laughs> I'm enjoying myself, so I don't see it much as a storm, but it's it's nice. I mean, <laughs> water wasn't only falling from the sky here; it was also coming out of the ground. City crews have installed pumps to help clear standing water off nearby roads. At one point, the stormwater pumps created a geyser on the beach more than six feet high. That was just the kind of show local Dominic Perez was hoping to see. He was happy to trade dry clothes for a peek at the unusual. See what's going on, see how it looks. I know no one else is really going to be out here, so yeah. how many times do you get to see a hurricane just storm flow over everything, you know? It was business as usual at Imperial Beach's Ye Old Plank Inn Bar, except for some water collecting near the side door. The storm didn't seem to be noticed by the Sunday crowd. Jerry from Imperial Beach was enjoying a cool beverage and wondering what all the fuss was about. Well, being from the Midwest, this is really nothing. This is just a typical rainy day. Nothing stops, nothing is closed up, nothing is boarded up. This is, this is very mild to what I'm used to. And if you're wondering, her Midwestern roots are in Oklahoma, where she says the weather changes almost every hour. For the California Report, I'm Eric Anderson in San Diego. The storm forced some people to relocate. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department advised Catalina Island residents and visitors, especially the medically vulnerable, to leave the island as soon as they could as a precaution. Most of the beaches and restaurants remain packed, though, even as some filled sandbags at the Catalina waterfront. Alfredo Contreras and Michael Rodriguez were hard at work filling piles of sandbags to protect a local water treatment plant. Oh, people just don't care. They just keep on coming, man. Doesn't matter how, how it is on mic. Yeah, people are going to be enjoying themselves no matter what. The city of Long Beach opened a temporary shelter to take in residents and visitors evacuating Catalina to the mainland, but those beds ultimately went unused, according to the Long Beach Post. And a big and unusual tropical storm isn't the only worry nature is throwing at Californians. On Sunday afternoon, a magnitude 5.1 earthquake struck near the Ventura County community of Ojai and was felt in Los Angeles. That tumbler was followed by a series of smaller quakes. Seismologist Lucy Jones took to social media to discuss the flurry of quakes and what they might mean. Are they just aftershocks or pre-shocks before a possibly bigger quake? Here's Jones. We can't tell what comes next. Like any earthquake in Southern California, there's a 5% chance that it could be followed by something larger. That's a very small number. 19 out of 20 times, we'll see nothing. But it is still higher than our long-term average. So uh, worry about the tropical storm, but recognize that you might be feeling something else today as well. Again, that was seismologist Lucy Jones. There were no immediate reports of major damage or injuries, according to the Ventura County Sheriff's Office. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. The California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org slash LBCA. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
And that's the California Report for Monday, August 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. And remember, you can get all your statewide news on the California Report podcast. Subscribe and download it wherever you get your podcasts. In San Diego, I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Many in Guatemala are either still celebrating or reeling from the surprising results of their presidential election. Today's National Native News explores how an underdog candidate ended up with 57% of the vote, thanks to a core group of the country's populace. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Many Guatemalans are celebrating the presidential victory of the once unlikely reform candidate who won a commanding 57% of the vote. Bernardo Arevalo received substantial support among indigenous voters who make up at least 40% of Guatemalans. Maria Martin reports. Traditional fireworks rang into the night in indigenous communities throughout Guatemala to celebrate the resounding victory of reform candidate Bernardo Arevalo of the Semilla or Seed Party. Arevalo had surprised everyone when he came in the second place winner in June's first round elections. For the runoff, he'd campaigned in heavily indigenous areas, calling for an end to centuries of racism and marginalization of the Maya and other indigenous and ethnic groups in Guatemala. Arevalo's rival, former First Lady Sandra Torres, has a strong political machine in heavily indigenous states like Huehuetenango, San Marcos, and Quichem. Indigenous leaders and organizations have been among the most vocal sectors of Guatemalan society against corruption, the hallmark of Arevalo's campaign. Groups of spiritual elders sent messages via social media Sunday to send light to voters and to Guatemala. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. Indigenous chefs are working to share their cuisine while highlighting their history. The Mountain West News Bureau's Emma Vandenindy has more. Indigenous chef Sean Sherman says the absence of Native restaurants resulted from many wrongdoings by the federal government. Bison were killed at alarming rates. Federal boarding schools stripped indigenous peoples of their culture, and forcing them onto resource-poor reservations put them in a systemic trap. He says they haven't had time to heal yet, let alone evolve. The more you dig into it, the more inequality you see, and the more racist structures you can see that are still built into the system. Chef Andrea Murdoch wants to shed light on this through her cooking. She's made food for several fundraising dinners that focus on issues like missing and murdered indigenous relatives and Indian boarding school trauma. Like, yes, I'm a chef, but I'm using that platform to bring awareness to cultural issues. This summer, she helped with Denver Eats, hosted by the American Indian College Fund. It raises tens of millions of dollars each year for indigenous students to attend tribal colleges. Cheryl Crazybull, the college fund CEO, loves hosting the event. Events like this, for me, are that opportunity for us to showcase the kinds of things that we as Native people contribute to society. The dinner portion featured indigenous chefs preparing dishes with pre-colonial ingredients, like a hen of the woods mushroom soup or three sisters hors d'oeuvre. Ben Jacobs, the co-founder and chef of Tokabe American Indian Eatery in Denver, also cooked for the event. With each dish, he tries to tell a story and make food for people, not for profit. 
The point is being able to provide people food that's meaningful and not worry about, at the end of the day, I'm only here to make money because we're not. We're here to make impact. Murdoch wants to do the same. By cooking at events like this, she hopes to uplift the cuisine and causes of her community while inviting others into the discovery. I'm Emma Vandenindy. The Lummi Nation in Washington State says it's saddened by the death of Tokate. The orca died in captivity at the Miami Aquarium last week. In a statement, the Lummi Nation says it stands in solidarity with Lummi members working to bring her home and will now begin talks about next steps. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Is your tank empty? There's another gas you should be worried about. Carbon monoxide can kill in minutes. But you can stay safe by placing CO alarms in your home. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. The KVMR News Desk has been covering the Highway Fire, also called the Washington Fire, since the initial blaze took hold on the afternoon of Wednesday, August 16th. There's been little documented change of the fire for the past several days, but KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza brings you this latest update on the fire's current status. As of this afternoon, according to the Tahoe National Forest's Fire Information Hotline, The Highway Fire, now also known as the Washington Fire, is holding at 45 acres and containment has increased to 70%. The fire started in heavy timber on Wednesday, August 16th, near Washington Road, and resulted in the evacuation of the little town of Washington as well as the surrounding area. Although all evacuation orders and warnings were lifted on Saturday, Washington Road remains open to local residents only at this time, as mop-up crews continue to repair dozer lines and remove excess suppression equipment. The cause of the fire is still under investigation. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. Remnants of Tropical Storm Hillary move rapidly to the north today, bringing rain to the northern Sierra. Tuesday will begin to dry out before warmer temperatures return by midweek. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 56 degrees. A 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 11 p.m. Tuesday mostly sunny with a high near 79. Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 59 degrees. The National Weather Service has issued a flash flood watch, which remains in effect through this evening, for the Mosquito Fire and Calder West Fire burn scars. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 42 degrees. A 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 11 p.m. Tuesday mostly sunny with a high near 65. A slight chance of showers and thunderstorms between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. 
Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 42 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 65 degrees. A 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms between 7 and 8 p.m. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 89. Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 65 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. What does it mean to serve on Nevada County's grand jury? And backing up even further, what does a grand jury even do? Up next, KVMR's Felton Pruitt shed some light on this civic watchdog. We're talking with Lloydine Lane. She's the president of the Nevada County chapter, a subgroup of the California Grand Jury Association. We also have Jeannie Wood. She is the Nevada County's law librarian. Thank you both for joining us. So uh, we've got the Nevada County Grand Jury, which exists, but a lot of people don't know, A, that it exists, and B, what it exactly does. First off, let's talk about what the Zoom seminar on August 22nd will be about. Basically, it's just uh, what is the civil grand jury in California? What is its history? How does it work? Why is it so valuable? How can somebody become part of it? Just across the entire board. Do you need people right now to serve on the grand jury? Or are there vacancies? Yes, there are vacancies. There, you know, it's the jury is rather a um, flexible thing. And because, I, I don't know, there's, we always try to maintain an alternate list, if nothing else. So, but yes, we definitely do have vacancies on the jury at the moment. Well, Lloydine, you're the president of, of the Nevada County chapter. Uh, how long have you been involved with this? Well, the chapter is a support group for the uh, Nevada County Grand Jury. And I was on the Nevada County Grand Jury for five years until this last June. And now I'm working through the chapter with a group of about 10 people to support the jury and do the recruiting activity and the educational programs and uh, the distribution of reports for the jury. So how does this all work, the Nevada County Grand Jury? Does it, does it meet once a year, four times a year? Is it always meeting? What, what, what's the process there? This is a year-long commitment for the jurors. And there are 19 jurors, and each juror is on two to three committees. The committees meet weekly for two hours. And then the jurors will also, many of them will participate in some of the, the support committees like uh, editorial, technical, outreach, that kind of thing. And in addition, twice a month, there is a plenary session or full panel session where everybody meets. And that goes for two hours. We say, we estimate that the average time needed in the jury is 20 to 25 hours a week. This is because in addition to the meeting times, there is research, there are other things that have to be done for the jury. It, um, <laughs> it can become quite a bit of work. So 20 to 20 hours a week for a year. And is it voluntary or is there pay? 
Well, it's it's voluntary. However, the each individual the, the process is that an int- person interested in being on the jury will go through to the uh, Superior Court website, the grand jury section, and uh, fill out an application. The applications are reviewed by the foreperson of the jury and by the Superior Court jury providing judge. And then there is an interview process, a background check, and then uh, if, if the individual passes all of those and still wants to be part of it, um, then the, the, the judge actually formally swears them in for a year of service or whatever is remaining of this particular term. So this really wouldn't work for somebody that also had a full-time job? No, and I wish that it, I wish that it did. This is one of the reasons that we do have something of a problem in a small community uh, maintaining a 19-member jury for a year. And uh, generally, I'm happy to say that the average age has been decreasing over the last five years that I've been part of the jury, and that's good. We want anybody and everybody. Sometimes we get younger people in that are in school and manage their time and other kinds of situations. And it's wonderful. Every, we want a cross-section of the entire county and of all of its residents. This is what the jury is about. It is about people in the county being a watchdog for what is going on with the monies, with the processes and the elections and all of that. Because the, it's the residents that have the power to make changes, not the jury. Okay, so we've got the seminar coming up on August 22nd. If you want to find out more, it's from noon to one. How do people uh, log into this Zoom seminar, and how do people get more information about the Nevada County Jury? Um, Yeah, okay. If people want to apply to be a member of the Nevada County Civil Grand Jury, they can go on the court's website, which is nccourt.net. That's nccourt.net. And on the home page, there's a part that says Civil Grand Jury. So just click on that, and the people can apply. So the Nevada County Law Library, and I'm the law librarian, we have seminars throughout the year. They have been monthly, but sometimes they're every other month, sometimes they're every couple of months. But the way to register for this seminar is to send me an email. And my email is Jeannie dot wood at nccourt.net. So that's J-E-A-N-N-I-E dot W-O-O-D at N-C-C-O-U-R-T dot net. Once I receive your email, I will send you the Zoom link a couple of days before the seminar, which the is The KVMR Tuesday, Evening News August is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. So, as and, always, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. In the past, Join us uh, Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening seminars News. Seminars that are uh, presented by local attorneys, although this one is not. And, we, and people can come into the law library to do research and to talk to us. Okay, and what's the address for the library? 201 Church Street in Nevada City. And I want to make it clear that Nevada County Superior Court is located in the state of California. It is not in the state of Nevada. That's Jeannie Wood. She's Nevada County's law librarian, and we've also had Lloydine Lane, uh, the president of the Nevada County chapter for Nevada County's civil grand jury. We thank you both for your time and information. 
Great. Thank Thanks you. for having us. That's our newscast for Monday, August 21st. Listen to anything you may have missed at our website, kvmr.org, and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.